Welcome to the Have Company podcast, a podcast that bridges the gap between artists and their community. I'm grateful to share conversations with Have Company artists and residents, friends, and a little bit of my own thoughts on creating work and finding balance. Hello, and welcome to the Have Company podcast. This is Marley, and I'm sitting here with my dear friend Rebecca Arab. Hi, Rebecca. Hey, Marley. <laughs> uh, we're just we're in we're in Berkeley, California. Yep. Um, this is the first time I've recorded a podcast not in Michigan, so this feels like a big deal. And I'm sitting at we're sitting at Rebecca's kitchen table, drinking. Um, what have you made us? It's golden milk. It's <laughs> it's golden milk. Rebecca's wearing a beautiful apron. <laughs> Over a way to like suit. start off yeah. the podcast with something sexual, Marley. <laughs> it's we also decided that aprons are inherently sexy, yeah, just for existing, yeah, exactly. Um, Rebecca, when someone says to you, What do you do? I thought you were gonna say, when someone No, says no, to you, why do you wear aprons? Why do you wear aprons? Uh, when someone's like, Oh, nice to meet you, what do you do? How do you usually respond to that? Um, well. Do you have, like, a one-liner? Um, I say I'm a earth-humping priestess. I don't know. No. Um, I... What do I say? This is going to be the most scandalous episode yet. <laughs> Yay! For all listeners, if you're interested in tuning out at any point. Um, I think I say I'm a Hebrew priestess and... Actually, it depends on the person, because sometimes I say I'm a clergy person and an artist, because that kind of gives more context than a clergy person, than a Hebrew priestess, because Hebrew priestess is kind of obscure and people don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Sure. But, you know, if it's a little bit of a longer conversation, I'll kind of explain what a Hebrew priestess is. So for those... So it's... So a... yeah, do you I, wanna... I mean, if it's a Jewish person, right. you're like I'll... I'm a Hebrew priestess. Well, no, it's not like it's some widely accepted oh, understood okay. thing in Judaism either. <laughs> but I will, I will use the Hebrew Kohenet, and I will give a little bit more context. Like a Kohenet is the feminine of Kohen, and Kohen is priest. And pre-biblical Judaism, priests were the people, you know, who kind of led ritual and probably women were doing those roles as well and gender queer people but there's little documentation of that um and yeah that's and an artist you know yeah. or I'll tell people I have a small business mm-hmm. and then I'll describe what the business is I'll be like mm-hmm. I have a small business mm-hmm. and I created this mm-hmm set of oracle cards mm-hmm. like tarot some people mm-hmm. don't know what that is mm-hmm. so i'm mm-hmm. like no it's not tarot mm-hmm. but it's a little similar. in the family yeah the family. but then they won't yeah. even know what tarot is so it'd right. be like okay um it's an art deck and i also then i'll say kind of i'm a clergy person like i officiate weddings and funerals and in and out of illness rituals mm-hmm. and transitioning rituals and uh yeah I did a funeral I've done a couple funerals mm. so I became familiar with um your work just you just emailed me once oh, one time probably mm-hmm. uh-huh and uh I started carrying your deck at 
have company and it's it's I still I continue to carry it in the online shop and I was so drawn to this deck that seemed like you said in this kind of family of tarot and oracle cards but it was so different and like so abstract and it didn't have words on it and it was just these shapes and sometimes there were boobs and there were bright colors and um and I didn't know really anything about you or like about you know how the deck was birthed um until later we became friends. Rebecca took my class, my how to not always be working class at Homestead Apothecary this past March. And yeah, we sort of just became instant friends. Um, and it didn't really work because now we work together. All and the now time. we are always working. <laughs> so please disregard everything that I've ever said. Uh, we'll, and we'll talk about that in a little bit too. But um, yeah, why don't you tell us about, because you're practice as a Hebrew priestess is sort of how the deck came to be. So yeah. why don't you tell us about the, the birth of the Moon Angels deck? Well, sorry, I just couldn't get out of my head like an actual baby birth. coming you out of my vagina. had the deck come um, out of your vagina. It kind of felt like that, I imagine. <laughs> no, I have really bad, I've had a lot of reproductive health. Mm-hmm. problems mm-hmm. and when I first was having them in my early 20s I was living with a midwife or she lived in the cabin next to my house in Olympia and I remember her coming over and her being like you're like a woman in labor so ever since wow. then I felt like wow I, I do know what the feeling of labor feels like yeah. and my deck there were some similarities yeah to, not the physical pain but sure um yeah, I do kind of think of it as a my first child, though. Mm-hmm. Like, I went to my cousin's wedding recently, and I met another cousin's mm-hmm. new kids, uh-huh. and who I loved. Yeah. And I was like, and everybody's like gushing over like the n- new cousins meeting each other course, and blah, blah, blah. And I like totally like to the kids, I was like, hey, do you guys want to meet my kid? <laughs> I like took out my deck and all these kids are like playing with my deck. It was really cute. Um, but yeah, it was, it was that kind of work. I started my training as a Kohenet. It was like six or seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And part of the training was to do a priestess project. And I got this idea to do a deck at that time and I started doing the illustrations and I had this idea of what it was and I made up this whole like complicated thing about the cycle of the moon mimics the amount of Hebrew mm. letters and the alphabet but they don't actually match up so then I was like and if you add the final letters and then anyway it was this whole like very complicated system that I figured out in my head and then I made all these drawings and paintings and then I was like this is all wrong These are totally wrong. And so I started the deck over again. Wow. And that's what exists now. And so it was really like a three-year project. Mm -hmm. And when I finished it, when I was starting to finish it, then I did an Indiegogo campaign to raise Mm -hmm. money to... It was like a Mm pre-order for the decks. And, And I sold some of the original paintings through that as well. Um... Yeah, and I'm super not techie, mm-hmm. so I 
had lots of people helping me do things. Like my friend Lisan Delise did the, you know, I had the vision for exactly how I wanted the deck and the packaging right, and right. she like actually knows how to use whatever the Adobe suite is, right, and, right. you know, and then my cousin, who's like a professional photographer, took the photos and like edited them and photoshopped the images. So I could not have done any of those things myself. Well, and I think for a lot of us who come into, and like you said, yes, you are an artist, but you're also a small business owner and it's so funny because I often forget that I am that also. And I think we come into it in this sort of weird way. We're not like, I want to be a business owner. It's more like, I want to make, I want to put something in the world that is my work or that maybe doesn't exist yet. And then how does that generate income? And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, whoops. I like have a business now. Um, and I think also coming from this kind of like, punk DIY world where we're supposed to figure everything out ourselves, you know, from the printing to the stapling. It's a, such a pleasant reminder to be like, oh yeah, or I could ask someone else who knows better. Yeah. Yeah. That or else was... it will take me 8,000 hours and that's a terrible waste of my time. Yeah. But it's scary because it's like, how do I pay for that? How do I, you know, open those conversations? And I think I often just won't make things because I'm so like, well, how will I finish it mm-hmm. like who will I ask to help me with the things mm-hmm. um yeah that was something that was really different about this project because I'm like the idea guy I have so many ideas every yeah. day yeah and there's no way that I could do all of the ideas but the deck there was something moving in the deck that I really completed this process for the first time kind of in my life where and and part of it was really having like a spiritual community and practice mm-hmm. to help me mm-hmm. get through it mm-hmm. and to manifest it um and so that I really didn't feel like I was doing it by myself at all and I'm super collaborative in my life like mm-hmm. I have a lot of collaborative projects that I'm working on and that feels really natural to me to work with other people Mm -hmm. um and yeah like you're saying that is like kind of a DIY I mean it's like it's just human yeah I mean it's really just capitalism Mm -hmm. that tells you that Mm -hmm. you have to do it by yourself and it's not even possible to do it by yourself really um yeah there's there's this organization I'm I'm super going off the topic and around it out but there's this organization called bfamfaphd.com is their website mm-hmm. and um i was in this do-it-yourself masters in fine arts mm-hmm. now called do-it-yourself mm-hmm. art school mm-hmm. because whatever that's another whole story mm-hmm. but um and we used this activity from the bfamfaphd.com website that talked about kind of how a piece of art is made Mm. and thinking about the whole system that went into making a thing. And I loved it. Like my last show group show that I did with DIY art school, Mm -hmm. when I wrote my materials list, I wrote down like all the different parts, like, Oh, these Ikea frames that I'm going to be returning after the show. Like the cell phone made by Apple Mm. computers or whatever that, you know, 
I used to correspond with my friend about getting a ride to Ikea. Like, but also the land that we live on here, Mm -hmm. you know, that we live on Ohlone land and acknowledging that and that Mm -hmm. we're, that I'm a visitor here. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. And then all the friends and family and animals that helped make this thing possible. And that's totally how I feel about the deck. Mm. Yeah. So another um, kind of part of your business is that you self-published with Elsa. Asher. Asher, yeah, Elsa Asher. Um, This really incredible workbook um, called Moon Tools. And... Uh, so, so kind of a part of Rebecca and I's story, and we can talk a little bit more about it later if we want, but is we've kind of created this system of working together, but on our, on our separate businesses, but working at the same time. And we've kind of been trading, consulting each other, which has been a really valuable tool to just sort of take time to really listen to the other person and, you know, give them feedback on their projects. And when Rebecca was listening to me, she took me through sort of this process that's laid out in the Moon Tools workbook. Um, so yeah, can you just tell us a little bit about that and and the class that you developed around it as well? Yeah. So Moon Tools, actually Elsa is also someone who I know from my Kohenic community, mm-hmm. a friend from that. And we came together because we're both (laughs) I'm a Capricorn and they're a Virgo Mm -hmm. so we make a great and we both have Leo rising so we make a really great team and oh yeah and we both have Sag Moon I forgot about that (laughs) yeah so we get stuff done Um, but the system is using the moon the cycle of the moon to work through processes, whatever they might be. So it might be creating a new habit, a new relationship, but most of our focus has been around creative projects. So we use the system that we developed to make the system, which was really, we're like, this is the best testament of this project. Um, And the, basically it's also using a sequencing that, everything in life follows like you set an intention to do something and then you prepare do whatever preparation you need to do and then you do the thing you make the action and then you do the follow-through after that and then you integrate and you celebrate that that happened in your life um so the moon follows celebrate yeah that's the part i forget a lot yeah i forget that part yeah that's I was just writing about for my newsletter. I was just writing about this year and how much it sucked and mm-hmm. um, and some of the good things yeah. about it too and celebrating those things like the fingers crossed emoji that now exists. Thank you, goddess, for I the put fingers that on my crossed list. <laughs> emoji. Um, yeah, so it's the idea of the workbook and workshops and online class is to support people in working on their creative projects and finishing them and integrating them in their lives. Like a support, like a support community and also 
using the moon and using the story of your birth, which um, tends to be like how I came out. Yeah. Yeah. So it tends to that story, however it happened for an individual tends to be echoed throughout your life. So for example, the theory that I've been developing about this is around capitalism in general. Yeah. And it's like you're every, most people like around, you know, twenties, thirties, older were born in hospitals Mm -hmm. and therefore right after you're born, the action phase most people are taken away from their birth mm-hmm. parent mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and are like weighed and washed and right. squirted or right. drugged, whatever. Right. And so this is a really important time yeah. apparently in attachment theory of yeah. that you have this moment of bonding with your birth parent immediately after you come out yeah. and you may, you know, you find milk and you're just bonding physically <clears throat> and, but without that and with the hospital taking you away, which most people are, um, you don't get that follow through time. So I'm developed. I'm, I'm like, yeah. Oh, that makes so much sense for right. our society right. because right. like people have these great ideas like cell phones and right. Uber and you know, whatever they yeah. might be yeah. or like whatever, like <clears throat> trash collection. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but then the, the idea happens and it's brought into the world, but then the follow through of like, okay, where are you going to get the parts from that cell phone? Right. And like, who's going to die because of it? Right. And like, you know, whose jobs are going to get taken away because of Uber and you know, how about like gentrification and all the people who lived somewhere who now are forced out because it's convenient for them to live somewhere because they can do anything they want on their cellular telephone. And so it's like the follow through is like, doesn't happen. Um, but I was talking to a friend about it recently and I was like, actually one of my collaborator friends, Wooly Leung, and I was like, yeah, like the follow through is totally patriarchy right there. That's right. patriarchy. And they were like, yeah, but patriarchy is what created that. And I was like, oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's yeah. like the before the before. Yeah. I was, um, about to go to karaoke recently and had this like anxiety about arriving alone. I'll like have that sometimes I'll have like anxiety about arriving alone to a new place that I've never been before, which is interesting. Cause I like going place like places I've been. I love, I love going alone. I love taking myself on to lunch alone. I like going to movies alone. Um, and someone was telling me some of the, like your arrival tendencies have to do with like the way you arrived mm. into the world. And, um, you know, my mother had a C-section and I was like upside down, folded in half backwards with my legs spread open. Mm. Um, and then, you know, taken away, not, I don't think really breastfed, you know, just like all of those. And then like when my eyes finally open, it's like see my dad and like thinking about like how those relationships, you know, how formative those are and the way that I walk, walk through this world <laughs> upside down and backwards with my legs <laughs> spread open. <laughs> Just Perfect kidding. example of how moon <laughs> tools can be beneficial in your life. You can't, can can't wait finally really acknowledge. Finally acknowledge that. You know, and then I became a dancer. You know, and start and kept my legs moving. <laughs> um, and so, but you also teach this class that is of the same. You use the workbook in the class. Yeah, yeah. No, and it, tell me about your life as a teacher and how that plays into your 
as, as an artist, as a business? Like, how do you feel about a teaching practice? And I think a lot of people ask me or ask other people that they see. I, I remember someone once commented on a picture where I had announced I was going to be teaching how to not always be working. And they said, do you have any training in teaching this course? <laughs> and I was like, huh, nope. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't, yeah. what kind of training should I have exactly? Um, and, you know, sometimes when I teach a dance class, I'm like, sure, I guess I have training and I, te- I technically have a degree in it, but, um, I feel like often my teaching style is pretty self-taught. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I teach other workshops, it's just, um, you know, something that I developed on my own. So tell, tell me a little bit about your, your practice as a teacher. I just did air quotes, but we don't need those cause it's real. <laughs> yeah. You're it's real. Yeah. Uh, well the. One thing I wanted to say about the moon tools mm-hmm. thing before we totally mm-hmm. moved on to uh, from it, which relates to this, is that something that I'm really excited about it is it's about we're teaching these workshops and classes, but we're also creating community mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. it too. And that's something we're really excited about, mm-hmm. that by people sharing their creative projects that they're working on or whatever they're working on, it's really great support for each other. And so the community aspect of it is part of what's really important. And it's like us working together on it is what's really important. And we've like worked through so much stuff already. Like we've had, you know, little conflict. I mean, collaborating with someone is super intimate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yes. And we both are teachers. Like, we're both... Elsa teaches at a school, um, at a college. And um, I have my master's in teaching, which I really only have because I wanted to become a public school teacher. Mm -hmm. And it was the easiest, cheapest way to do it in Olympia, Washington, where Mm -hmm. I lived for 13 years. Mm -hmm. And I just... Yeah. So I really... It's kind of weird for me to be like, I have a master's from teacher. Because I didn't know that. Yeah. Cool. I mean, I also, you know, started with some other people, this do-it-yourself master's in right. fine arts right. program, which was kind of anti, well, not anti, it was just an alternative to sure. traditional schooling. And I mean, I think like what you're saying, like people are like, what are your credentials for teaching your dance classes and mm-hmm. workshops? Mm-hmm. I think the credentials are like legit you've been alive on this earth and had experiences and that we all have things to teach each other right and there is also something to having experience teaching Mm -hmm. and some training and teaching is sucks Mm -hmm. and it's horrible you know and some training and teaching is really helpful and I really like, I went to the Evergreen State College in Olympia and I really liked a lot of the training that I received to become a teacher. I was, I used to be a public school teacher and I mostly taught, taught art and, uh, yeah, I love, I love teaching. I love, I love seeing people's potential and seeing them for who they really are Mm -hmm. and helping to bring that out it's yeah I love being a cheerleader essentially Mm -hmm. and yeah loving people and seeing them and helping them find ways to express 
who they are more authentically and share that with the world. It's really satisfying. When you're developing these classes that are, you know, outside of a traditional school, you know, they're not in a school where, what kind of spaces are you looking for when you're like, okay, I have this new idea for a class. I want to teach it. Where should I do it? Um, what do you, what, what kind of spaces make you excited to teach in or inspired to teach in Hmm. in general? I don't, yeah, that's a good question. I think I've taught in stores before that sell my deck mm-hmm. in a, I've done that a bunch and I've taught in my apartment mm-hmm. and at the library Ooh. and in formal classrooms and community centers. Everything kind of has its pros and cons. Mm-hmm. I think having a smaller space where people can feel like cozy and comfortable is nice Mm -hmm. to have. Uh, Depends what I'm teaching too. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I was a public school teacher, you know, the architecture and the architecture, the, you know, kind of traditional classrooms and the floors and lighting and stuff aren't that great. You kind of feel like you're in a hospital. Mm Uh, yeah. So it's nice to have good lighting. Yeah, good lighting. <laughs> and just feeling, I think one of the things that I really appreciate is feeling welcomed by whoever is hosting me. That mm-hmm. then helps me welcome the other people who are coming to be in my workshop. I think I just create a space energetically, too, that the class or workshop will happen in. Totally. So I often have a little altar and that we make together Mm -hmm. and create and just be like with myself, be my personality and Mm -hmm. be warm and welcoming Mm -hmm. to people. I mean, I love hosting stuff at my, I live in a really tiny studio apartment now, but when I've lived in bigger spaces, I've loved hosting Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. and I love creating like an atmosphere where people are enjoying themselves and opening up or singing or eating or whatever, or learning, whatever it might be. I think we should talk about something raunchy now. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) What were you going to say? Oh my well, well, we just like preface the podcast. We're just like preface the podcast with this is gonna be, and then there hasn't been any. So. Well, we're getting it. We're in the detail. We're in we're, the biz detail. I was okay, actually just the thinking. Details. I was like, shoot. I was like, I have more biz questions to ask. And I was like, what can I ask about being? What can I say to really draw the raunch out? You know? Do you have something you'd like to speak on? You're like <laughs> something that. Um... What were you going to ask me? It's not fun now. Just just ask. Well, the next... It's so uncool. God, I, you made me feel so uncool. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're fine, everybody. Don't worry. You're um, wearing a florist hat. I am. Hi. I like this band. Um, Okay, so the... I know I keep touching it. I touched the hat a lot when I I'm still it. wearing an apron. Yeah, Rebecca still has her apron on. Um, ooh... My, my next question was about sweeping. 
<laughs> you want to get raunchy with that? You want to tell? No, I'm just kidding. Well, my question is, and I just spoiler alert: the answer is sweeping. But my question, which I ask everyone, is, you know, jumping from okay, so you run your own business, you do this stuff, we got through that, but like, what are you doing every day to protect yourself from? the you know many energies of the world coming at you and feel strong and rooted in yourself and your own practice as just a human or a hebrew priestess or you know anything that you're doing um basically like what is your do you have daily ritual <laughs> i've liked a few people been like no like fuck daily ritual like that's for posers <laughs> um so maybe that, you're like <laughs> um but yeah what are things that you do to just take care of yourself in this cute studio apartment and beyond uh eat some bee pollen and (laughs) yeah that's like what you what were we talking about the other day that you were like the sweeping thing came up I think I was maybe talking about doing my morning pages, and I was oh, like, that's yeah. the first thing I do when I wake up. And you were like, I sweep. I do. I sweep my floor. Every morning. I was like, whoa, that sounds really good. I do. It's Some really, idea. I mean, I I try to, I used to be like really like, I'm going to do these things every day to be yeah. a spiritual person and be right in the world. Yeah. And that's awesome. That yeah. works for lots of people, yeah. and some of that works for me as well. Mm-hmm. But... I've started to really think about my actions and how they make my prayer in the world. Mm. So it's really it's really hard the world that we live in. And that part of how I deal with my grief at this point is doing work in the world. And that's either, you know, doing ritual as healing prayer about racism and uh, oppression, etc. And it's also, you know, working with different organizations or going to action or, um, you know, the fundraising. I'm on the fundraising committee of Surge. And, like, I love that because I love Mm. thinking Mm -hmm. about money as energy and Mm. um, how it can bring how reparations and uh, changing changing ownership of things um, is like this action of prayer. Um, but yeah, I wake up every morning and I sweep. I mean, it's really, I got to sweep up the cat litter because I live in a really small right. apartment right. and there's cat litter all over the floor. So I have to sweep. Yeah. And I was giving myself a hard time at one point because I was like, you don't, you're not meditating. You're just sweeping, but it's literally like 10 minutes of sweeping. Sounds like meditating to me. Exactly. Yeah. So I just started being like intentionally, okay, this is my meditating time. Yeah. The sweeping. Yeah. Um, And then, yeah. And then I learned that sweeping in, um, in Chinese medicine, my friend who's an acupuncture was saying it's a Zen activity. For sure. Sweeping. It's a calming. So I was like, oh, okay, great. There we go. But I, you know, I do light cedar and ring my bell and say some prayers every morning mm-hmm. and pick a card from my deck. Mm. And oh, I are there other decks that you use? 
Not very much. No, you're pretty much TBH. using your own. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting thing. Yeah. yeah, it's a funny thing for me. I mean, I have used this druid animal deck, which I love. Cool. And I've used the collective tarot, which I love. And I've used, like, different people's decks here and there. Sure. Um, but I kind of always wanted to be a more intuitive psychic person I really always admired that in other people Mm -hmm. so I realized creating the deck was making my own tool for divination because I it didn't even occur to me to do readings for people with my deck before I made it right like that was not an intention that was not a thought and then once I made it people were like will you do a reading for me and I was like um Okay, I'll give it a try. Yeah. And they're really awesome. And sure. And I'm like, wow, I did create that for myself. I am intuitive, actually, right. and right. so is everyone else, right. is the truth of the matter. Right. Uh, it's just, we have to re-remember, that, which is a lot of my work, is about re-remembering what I already know and hopefully facilitating other people, re-remembering what they know. I love that. When you think about the owning a business side of being an artist, what do you feel like the hardest? What's been the biggest challenge for you? Not taking things personally. Whoa. Talk to me about that. Yeah. I think... Like when people don't like what you make. Um, Not that explicitly, but... I mean, that's, I think it's been more around trying to make money. Mm-hmm. It's like when I facilitate, officiate a wedding, it's, it doesn't feel like me, mm-hmm. really. It feels really overtly, I have helped this couple form this ritual. We've done this, this creative process together. And now I'm, you know, writing the part, writing it, memorizing it, going up in front of people doing this thing. Sure. And that, but it's like not, it, it's like, oh, I have some skills that help that. But my deck is like, it's all me. It's all me. Right. Like, I mean, it's not of me either, right? It's like right. the creative flow of the universe that came through me and made this thing. Mm-hmm. But like... It's also understanding that intellectually and understanding that emotionally are two different things. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, putting it out in the world and being like, I made this. Like, please carry this at your store. Right. And approaching stores. Yeah. It's, I mean, and owning a business in general is... I've heard no more times than I've ever heard in my life. I've been like quote unquote rejected more times than I ever have in my life, but it's pretty awesome because now I'm just like whatever. Right. Now I don't take it personally most of the time. Most of the time I'm just like, "Oh, you didn't write me that email back to me." Like, "Oh, you didn't want to carry my deck." Like, oh, well, 30 other places did, so... So bye. <laughs> yeah. Don't, like, don't need you. Yeah. Don't need you anyways. And when that was first was happening, I remember one of my really good friends, Rob, 
I was like, oh, this story, I really wanted them to carve my doctor. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it's a great fit. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, no, just go on to the next place. You don't need them. Right. And I was like, but. He was like, no. No. But now I kind of am like that. But you need right. to have some successes, too, to have, be able to handle. But it was like yeah. a lot of just trucking along. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of trucking along. Um, why do you live in Berkeley, California? You moved here mm-hmm. from Olympia, mm-hmm. where you lived for 13 years. Mm-hmm. How'd you pick Berkeley? Or the Bay Area? Yeah. I used to live in Oakland before Berkeley. Um, actually, when I first moved here, I lived in Berkeley. I moved into my cousin's apartment and then soon moved out and moved to Oakland. But um, this particular apartment, I was grandfathered in by a friend who was moving out. And I am really happy to live here mm-hmm. in, in West Berkeley. This, you know, this area has been more has was gentrified longer mm-hmm. ago mm-hmm. and as a white person living in the bay area i feel a little more comfortable mm-hmm. living here i mean it's there's still you know that history mm-hmm. and still living on occupied land mm-hmm. or as an occupier mm-hmm. and uh but i feel really grateful mm-hmm. for it mm-hmm. It rains a lot in mm-hmm, Olympia, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I moved here in part for the sun, mm-hmm. and I'm getting kind of nervous to talk about the next reason that I moved here. Oh, but... cool. That's great. <laughs> Bring it. Um, so, yeah, I moved here like four and a half years ago, mm-hmm. and I had lived in Olympia for almost 13 years and hadn't even thought about moving. Mm -hmm. And I loved many things about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was in a cult there and the Mm -hmm. cult broke up and it was a therapy cult. Mm -hmm. It was shut down by the health department and there were like a bunch of reports filed by the state and it was like a radical queer Mm -hmm therapy cult Mm -hmm. I mean the person who started it was Mm -hmm. she had a you know she was like a cult of personality and counselor and a lot of you know radical queer people were attracted to working with her and but then in time it became clear she was narcissistic Mm -hmm. and but I don't know you know I still am like oh this is gonna a lot of people might listen to this podcast I have to explain like why I got in it and why I didn't leave sooner and you know all those kind of because it was many years of your life it was nine years yeah and I don't think and I'm grateful that you're sharing that because that's something that as your friend I know about and I think it's a really interesting part of your story and I feel like it's maybe part of more people's story that they don't talk about there's so many things that are like stigmatized that we I think are feeling more and more comfortable talking about in terms of like mental health and addiction and recovery and just so many personal things that generally carry shame with them and I don't think people talk about being in cults very much it's not something you really hear about um Yeah. yeah what was it like leaving that or coming or kind of like coming to kind of all of a sudden being like oh my god I just was in this for almost a decade 
it was really liberating at first. Yeah. I mean, it was the community completely split down the middle. Like, half the people stayed with this woman and half the people left. And, okay. you know, someone was... I was living with one of the people who stayed with her, and there was, like, all this conflict. And, um, But it was mostly liberating. Yeah. I was one of the people who was kind of scapegoated mm-hmm. in the quote, in the quote, in the cult, yeah. <laughs> quote, quote. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, yeah, I'm out of here. Like yeah. I never thought about leaving Olympia. I'm moving to California. Yeah. You know, I wanted to move somewhere where there are a lot more queers and Jews. So yeah. it was either between California and Philadelphia. Philadelphia is near where I grew up in South Jersey. Those were my two choices. Really? Yeah, because Sam, my brother, lives in Philly. Oh, yeah. I was like, Oakland or Philly? Yeah. Yeah. I picked the place with no snow. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Sammy. Um, I've picked the place I ended up deciding oh Philadelphia my heart is drawn to Philadelphia because my family lives there but my soul is drawn to the Bay Area and my heart will follow my soul but my soul will have a harder time following my heart so I came Mm -hmm. here Mm -hmm. I had I have cousins who live here Mm -hmm. and um, I had a really good friend that lived here and yeah, so it was like, whoa, new adventure, really fun and um, amazing in lots of ways. And it's been like this huge process of learning how to trust the world and be in the world. But, um, you know, when the deck came out, that was a huge turning point in my life because I had decided to stop teaching mm-hmm. and pursue this other artist's life more. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing that I... That was my, I was doing the artist's way when I first moved to California, and I got to chapter, not, I had like started it like five times before sure, or whatever, yeah. and I had got to chapter nine, which is make amends, yeah. and I was like, okay, the biggest amends I need to make to myself is when I was in the cult, I hardly made any art, and before I was in the cult, I was like totally like in the art scene, in Olympia, and music, and like, you yeah. know, doing lots of things there, and um helped run the letterpress community print place and had a studio at K records Mm -hmm. and like was, you know, really involved in things. Mm -hmm. And like the first homo go, go, I Mm -hmm. remember I made this like huge, um, life size, um, person that you like pulled a string Mm -hmm. and their gender genitalia changed. (laughs) And it was just really, I just, there was lots of fun things. I was, involved in that once I got involved in the cult there was a lot of demonization of people in the art scene Mm. so I eventually stopped doing it and just kind of like buckled down and ended up doing this teaching Mm. stuff which was great in lots of ways Mm. um but so I got here I'm on chapter nine Mm. in the artist's way I'm like make amends like I need to change my life actually I need to try to follow this dream that I have so I actually like totally lost friends when I did that there were people who couldn't support me in like making that change I couldn't talk to my family about it um because they were like why are you gonna stop the secure job as a teacher right (laughs) do this like and you live in the bay area now um but yeah I just you know got jobs Mm -hmm. at cafes and Actually, that was a terrible fit for me, so I ended sure. up doing childcare. <laughs> but, um, and yeah, so I don't have that regret anymore, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Mm-hmm. 
yeah and it's it's been a, a long a long healing mm-hmm. healing process but yeah I think there is I think a lot of people are in cults too is what I find the more that I talk about it yeah I'm like oh I mean some people think that like 12 step programs are cults right I don't actually think that right. um, having been in 12 yeah. step programs yeah. myself yeah. Yeah. and been in an actual yeah. cult yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> just for those listening if you're still having that judgment yeah um but yeah I think I think it's good to talk about it and I think a lot of what we're talking about, and it's interesting that kind of like ninth step amends, both the way that Julia Cameron writes the artist's way, which is very much based on the 12 steps in her 12 week program. And I think even going back to like the, just allowing the sweeping to be the meditating is I think a lot of what I've learned from you and hear from you is this like, kind of like loving compassion towards yourself to not, you know, be like, I can't believe I was in a cult. Like I fucked up by not making art all those years. And instead to be like gentle with yourself and the process and to just keep moving forward. And I was listening to, man, I really can't remember what I was listening to. Was it, I think it was a podcast that Rachel Blodgett sent me and Rachel and I talk a lot about shame and how it much it blocks us from moving forward and this quote from this podcast again no idea who said it so <laughs> my bad um but was like it's not the shame it's like the pain from the shame that is like what or it's like or it's the guilt of having the feeling is what hurts more than just the thing it's like when we're like i feel the shame and then we're like oh no i don't want to feel it like then you hate yourself for feeling the feeling um so yeah i'm just grateful that you shared that kind of process with us. Yeah, that's been a huge part of my process. Making the deck was all about embracing feelings and whatever they might be. And just, it's inspired by teaching in Judaism that when you have a feeling, it's an angel visiting you. And it feels like the antithesis of patriarchy. Mm-hmm. and that following the cycle of the moon you have this like rock you have this foundation mm-hmm. to guide you and mm-hmm. to nurture you and mm-hmm. your feelings mm-hmm. and yeah like having feelings about having feelings yeah it's that's real yeah yeah and i think i think a friend <laughs> said to feelings me about having feelings my a friend said to me recently like i just want to like glide along or I just want to go on the ride like be okay kind of thing and I was just like okay good luck right you know because that's not gonna happen like what it's about is having more capacity to feel both the hard feelings and the good feelings it's not about having less feelings or having more good feelings Mm. it's I feel like that's the point of life to be able to have more capacity to Mm -hmm. feel in general physical Mm -hmm. sensations and emotions Mm -hmm. um and that's you know what's Mm -hmm. interesting about S&M I think Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is like that lots of things are interesting about it but um something that I'm interested in Mm -hmm. is yeah those thresholds of pleasure and pain Mm -hmm. that we can Mm -hmm. 
experience just trying to get a little mm-hmm. bit juicy and this is good because i'm gonna go i'm gonna go why <laughs> juicy yeah. i see what yeah. you did yeah. there yeah yeah because yeah. you're jewish um <laughs> i think that so that actually is a good we can get raunchy for a moment here um well i it's funny because we've been joking about this thing that happened on the internet but also you in the way that you so you made these beautiful videos that kind of go with your cards which is incredible because your cards are really they're really abstract again they like don't say words on them they're kind of like a lot of shapes and you know collages and um and there is a book that goes along there is thank you there is a book (laughs) y'all that goes with it that can break it down for you um but you made these really incredible videos that are captivating and and really beautiful and um I'm I'm also thinking of the boob poster that you created that's also very beautiful but you talk really openly about sex in on social media like in the way that you share you talk very openly about being queer you talk about your body hair I mean you're just about as open of a book as they get which I truly admire and in many ways feel like I'm so um open with my own life on the internet but but like sexually I tend to be quieter or something mm-hmm. um well, I feel like I'm a sexually like, quiet internet person, but it's funny because especially as someone who's like, like a lot of noise during sex. No, but I'm, <laughs> sorry, I, I don't this know. I don't know personally. Really, <laughs> just to be clear, Rebecca and I are not sleeping together to yet. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But well, I think I wanted to do this podcast with you to get you in bed. It's, it's, <laughs> it's right. Studio it's, apartment. It's interesting because having this year of my life, maybe here I'll get braver now that I live in fucking California, not Michigan anymore. I mean, I was, you know, I was in this, in living in Michigan, being in this, you know, in a polyamorous marriage, being a queer person, dating, you know, women, trans people, cis dudes, like having all of these relationships and being, this is maybe the first, maybe I think, I think I've used words like, I had a pretty non-traditional marriage, <laughs> but I've never like, re- I never really talk about like what my life is like in a sexual intimate way or my, or my preferences maybe, or like my body or in the, anyways. Preferences or orientation? Oh, I meant, I was, I was speaking, when I said preferences, I was thinking, well, you just said s I prefer. No, <laughs> tell you about what I prefer. No, I don't have... I prefer everything. I don't have a preference. Up, down, all around. I don't have a preference. I prefer My preferences it. are pretty varied. I prefer... Um, I... <laughs> okay, why don't you talk for a while? Why don't you go, don't you go ahead? Why don't you talk sexy um, for lady? No, I just was uh, thinking about... Or how do you get there without feeling nervous or something? You just don't feel nervous. I don't... No, you just feel nervous and do it anyway. Right. I mean, (laughs) it's not really about feeling nervous or not feeling nervous. You're just opening up that capacity Um, for more feelings. Yeah, exactly. And, like, about my deck, like, specifically, like, I made those videos as an addendum to the book, but also, like, I just want to be... For the record, I, like want to encourage people to trust their intuition. Mm. And 
that if you look at one of my cards and you see, you know, um, actually one of them, the heavy projections card, number four, is the most misinterpreted card or whatever you want to say misinterpreted. Sure. It interpreted correctly because sure. it's called heavy projections. So <laughs> what I wrote in the right. book is like opposite of what everybody sees and people see sexual things in it more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's perfect because it's called heavy projections. Right. And, but... I love I love like when people do that and I love people trusting their own intuition or just interpreting things for themselves. That's super valuable more than you know what I have to say about mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um they have to say it about them is the most right. it could be. Right. And I think that being in touch with our sexuality and our as sexual beings you know, we are, that helps us get more in touch with our intuition and trusting, you know, feeling more and feeling more feeling like we're, you know, that's why our whole society is obsessed with sex because sex is fun and it's so many things and it's kind of one of the only ways people, I think sex and art are one of the only ways that people really in our society are allowed to get like really obscure. I mean, not everyone obviously can do these things, but they're a modern, the easiest access to kind of explore obscurity and um, the unknown uh, more than anything else. Yeah, it's, I mean, there's lots of ways to do that, but those are probably the easiest like access reading in a our novel. society. <laughs> reading a novel? <laughs> you can also access the unknown. It's not as fun. <laughs> yeah, other worlds. I like that, though. The yeah. easiest way to access and obs- explore obscurity and the unknown are insects. I mean, I like that. That's, I think that can be true. Yeah. I also... You said it. It's on the record, so it's true now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, give a Capricorn a way to put out words of wisdom. I'm the happiest <laughs> kid on the block. And But yeah, sex. I love George Michael. Oh, yeah. And actually, I've been, I feel really sad about Carrie Fisher. Mm-hmm. And I feel like her... You know, she was 19 in the first Star Wars, and she, you know, she was, like, also just complete sex object. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, like, I love, I love how she kind of, in her life, turned, turned her sexual being, her just humanness into Mm -hmm. this source of, um, she didn't give a fuck. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, someone, someone said something like on social media, like honor Carrie Fisher and mental health stigma, give less fucks, just destroy fascist regimes. Yes. And I was like, yes, that's, and I just felt that as a Star Wars was always my favorite movie since I was a really little mm-hmm. kid, and I've always wanted to do my hair like yeah, Princess Leia, totally. and but like just her 
going through the forest with her gun and like I mean she's so awesome and and also that she was portrayed as sexual and sexualized and um in a demeaning way but also paired I don't know she used it to be strong Mm -hmm. I'm going off on a Carrie Fisher thing but I've never been so sad about a celebrity dying because she's so close to my little kid Mm. self yeah um but yeah lots of people who really changed I think our experience of sexuality Prince and George Michael and David Bowie yeah um this year passing yeah um yeah, someone I read some tweet somebody wrote about like David Bowie created this alternate universe. Now everybody wants to go there. Yeah, yeah. We actually all have to go there. <laughs> We're all gonna die. Well we are, but um yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. Um, this podcast episode, today is Wednesday, and it will come out on Sunday, January first, which is a new year and um I know for me, and I feel like a lot of people in my community, both in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and in in Oakland, in the Bay, and pretty much the the country and the planet, experienced just an incredible amount of personal, community, national just grief this year. That seems just like this kind of from like marriages dying, children dying, parents dying, pets dying. You know the election. The fire in Oakland, you know, other deaths, Standing Rock, um, you know, our reproductive rights constantly being, you know, challenged. Um, I think there's a lot of hope moving into 2017. I really didn't believe it when I just came, it came out of my mouth just now. Mm. Um, but I know you said you've been kind of making a list and I'm interested what your sort of hopes or intentions are for this new year both as an artist as a business person as a just a person you know like what are you feeling excited about moving into a new calendar year Mm -hmm. I feel excited that people I think lots of people and lots of white America is uh, becoming more active um and you know communities of color and immigrant communities you know have so much less of a choice um of like yeah my um native friend of mine recently was like i am so tired of doing this work Mm. like i just want the white people to do it Mm -hmm. she said that about going to standing rock Mm um and i'm like yeah that's that's real. I mean, it's heartening um the showing up for racial justice meetings in the bay have like been huge the last that sur- six- surge that you were mm-hmm. talking about has been huge the last 6 months, so that's really and that's majority white people. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, that's been those meetings have gotten huge. Um that's heartening Mm -hmm. and I think like anyone still making art and um and asking questions about making art uh is really 
heartening. Yeah. Um, to me, and I was listening to this um, 20th anniversary Democracy Now! talk between Harry Belafonte and uh, Noam Chomsky. And Harry Belafonte wow. was like, let's, I want people to, like, let's cultivate this rebel heart. And I loved that. And he was just like, time to, like, be willing to die for for justice. Mm-hmm. And um, because people are dying. Right. And I just, you know, I can't get out of my mind recently, just, like, the faces of Aleppo and... Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's really extreme yeah like it's really extreme the destruction and death um this year on so many levels and you know I think I in a way I am also heartened by social media Mm -hmm. bringing more attention to like you know black folks have been killed by the police forever Mm -hmm. but that it it the Black Lives Movement mm-hmm. is that it has such momentum yeah. is really heartening. Um, the yeah, the I mean, Standing Rock is incredibly, incredibly inspiring, and just a movement led by Native youth and um, Native elders, mm-hmm. and really taking and just feel really excited to take direction Mm -hmm. Um, and seeing more people really wanting to do that Mm -hmm. in in massive Mm -hmm. in massive amounts Mm -hmm. yeah lots of things are heartening things are growing plants are growing outside it's pretty out there yeah yeah but also I really don't I, I think I also am heartened by people expressing their grief mm-hmm. publicly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, that it almost feels like that within these movements that there is more space for feelings mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. expression of those feelings thanks Rebecca yeah thank you Marley do you have any last things to share with us do you have any things you want to tell us about anything's coming up for you or well, Just last last thoughts. People can check out Moon Tools on MoonToolsTime.com, and I'm probably going to be doing something with Have Company, yeah. like a, a a twice a month class um, with the moon mm-hmm. and the deck, and yeah, subscribe to Hebrew Priestess TV. Uh, I. I've just been putting up videos about the cards pretty much so far, but I have a little, a little backstock of, I'm like kind of shy to put out the more, um, funny, vulnerable mm-hmm. videos, but yeah. I will. You will. About Harry Bushes and yeah. how to relax your asshole. Yeah. Wow. Cool. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Now I'm we're just talking. like building up, building up yeah, to it. Slow and to steady, it. baby. Yeah. Slow and steady. Um... But yeah, and oh yeah, and the boobs campaign. People yeah. should know about buying the boobs poster, and I'm giving half of the proceeds from that to 
um, the Birth Justice Project in the Bay that does doula care for people in recovery programs and on the inside and to plan parenthood. Oh, and Moon Tools, the workbook, um, when you buy it through us, we are still giving half the proceeds to efforts at Standing Rock because there's still a lot of support needed. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And for those listening, have company just moved into a new studio space on 8th and Pine in the Lower Bottoms neighborhood of West Oakland. So, um, yeah, keep an eye out for workshops with Rebecca and other people and let me know if you want to just come hang out. We're there sometimes and I'm there a lot. So 2017, baby, if you're listening, you're in it. we'll be in it in a few days in our future selves but if you're listening now you're in yeah we did it thanks rebecca thanks thanks for listening